Amen. You can have a seat this morning. It's so good to be with you. My name is Ryan. If you don't know who I am, I get to serve at our Port Clinton campus. And so from time to time, they let me out to come over and share with you guys. And so we are just going to jump right into and continue to worship today by looking at our third root in our 2023 vision series titled Growing Deeper. And to kick us off, we're going to look at um, basically some statistics today. In their book, Growing Young, Kara Powell, Jake Mulder, and Brad Griffin, they took the time to look at and study the faith journeys of many young individuals between the ages of 15 and 29. And here are some stats from this book. And let me tell you, some of these statistics uh, reveal a very serious problem in our church today. And so first, they shared that according to a 2001 U.S. Census Bureau data, adults ages 18 to 29 comprised of 22% of the entire adult population. Yet, that same age group represents less than 10% of church attendees nationwide. And we can safely assume that that statistic is even less than what they thought in 2001. Uh, they go further. Multiple studies highlight that 40 to 50% of youth group seniors, like the young people in your church, drift from God and the faith community after they graduate from high school. Can you imagine that 50% of our chapel high school students walking away from God and a church family once they graduate high school? Well, according to this book, it's happening. And it's probably happening here as well. And then to go further, it says some, perhaps more than half of those who drift away from the church end up rejoining the faith community, generally when they, have, when they get married and have children, but that still leaves close to 50% still adrift. Now I say that these stats are very sobering because they represent people. They represent people that we love walking away from God, walking away from a church family. We can't let these statistics, though, depress us today as, as some of you may feel right now. we got to allow these statistics to motivate us to get to work, which is why we've identified the third root in, we, in which we want to grow deeper as a church, the chapel, the third root is we want to equip the next generation. And so we want to take these statistics and hopefully over the next three years that those statistics will not be true within this church. That God will be moving, that God will be working in the hearts of our next generation here at the chapel and so we need to get to work. But listen, some of you are like, oh great, another message about kids. I don't have kids or my kids are grown. Well listen, this doesn't count you out today. Because listen, two weeks ago we talked about how we're a family. We are in this together. We need every single person to jump into this idea that we need to equip the next generation. So please don't tune me out. Here in the next couple minutes, all right? And so the question we have to ask is if we truly want to equip the next generation, where do we start? Well, we can start by looking at an 
amazing account in 1 Kings chapter 18. And so if you have a Bible, you can turn to 1 Kings chapter 18. That's in the Old Testament. It's right there. You'll find it, all right? And so go ahead and turn there. If not, obviously, we're going to have the the passages on the screen. And so just to give you a little context of chapter 18, in chapter 17, we meet a, a man by the name of Elijah. Maybe you've heard his story before, but Elijah is a prophet of God. And a prophet of God is someone who speaks on behalf of God to God's people. And so God uses these prophets to say what he wants to his people. And that's how he's about to use Elijah. He wants Elijah to go talk to God's people and to basically say some things to him. And so in 1 Kings 17, right at the beginning, we see Elijah, he comes and he confronts the king of Israel at the time, King Ahab. And King Ahab and his wife, Jezebel, they are leading God's people away from God. They have decided, we're not going to worship the Lord, Yahweh. We're going to worship a different God named Baal. And Baal comes in many different forms. And the Baal that they're most likely worshiping is the God of rain. And so Elijah comes to them, and he says one sentence to them. He says, listen, because you are leading God's people away from God, there's going to be a drought in the land, which means there's going to be no rain and no dew over the next three years. So can we just talk a little bit about the humor of God in this for a moment? And so Ahab and Jezebel are worshiping Baal, the god of rain, and he says, okay, you're going to worship that as your God? Well, I'm going to show you who the true God of rain is. This is basically a flex move by God. He's saying, I'm the true God. That God is not. So there's going to be a drought. And so you may think in 1 Kings 17 that, you know what, Elijah's going to have this awesome ministry. He's just going to go continue to talk to Ahab and Jezebel and tell them how they're making wrong decisions, leading God's people away from God. But that's not what happens. In fact, right after he says that one sentence, there's going to be a drought, God says, Elijah, now you need to go hide away for three years. And that's exactly what he did. For three years, he left. And he went through three seasons in the midst of his years away. First, he went through a season of dependence on God for everything he needed, food, water, everything. After that, he went through a season of refining where God was refining his faith and refining his confidence in him. And after that, he went through a a season of testing where God was testing him to see where his faith was at in his life. You see, in those three years, this tells us one thing, that God was preparing Elijah to do something amazing for him. Because this is how God works a lot in Scripture. He uses certain tough seasons, but to prepare you for something great. And that's where we get to 1 Kings chapter 18. And so after three years, God shows up to Elijah again, basically, and says, hey, it's time. Here we go. It's time for your public ministry. It's time for me to use you for your greater purpose. And so Elijah shows up back at the door of Ahab, and he challenges him to a showdown. And so maybe the story is starting to click in your mind. Maybe you've heard this when you were a kid. And so Elijah challenges him to a showdown, and that's what we read in 1 Kings 18, verses 24. But before we read this passage... Listen, this is not a showdown between Elijah and Ahab. 
They're not going to go and arm wrestle each other. This is a showdown between God and Baal. This is a showdown so God can reveal himself to the next generation. And so look what happens. Elijah, in verse 24, he sets the terms of the showdown. And here are the terms of the showdown. It says then, Elijah's saying, hey, then call on the name of your God. Notice the lowercase g, okay, lowercase g God. And I will call on the name of the Lord, Yahweh. And then he says, the God who answers by setting fire to the wood is the true God, and all the people agreed. So the terms of the showdown are this. Ahab, Jezebel, they're going to get all their prophets together, and they're going to build this altar, and they're going to take a turn to try to see if their God can bring fire down. And then you have Elijah over here who's by himself. He's going to go ahead and build an altar, and he's going to summon or call on the name of his God to see if his God can bring fire down. And the God who brings fire down wins. And so the prophets of Baal go first. Look what happens. 1 Kings 18, 26. Then they, the prophets of Baal, called on the name of Baal from morning until noontime. Remember that. Morning until noontime. Shouting, O Baal, answer us. But there was no reply of any kind. No one answered. No one showed up. In fact, the story gets even more humorous because in the midst of from morning until noontime, Elijah takes this moment to taunt. A lot like in the NFL, he should have got flagged for it because he was taunting and he basically kept saying, where's your God? He says, is he going to the bathroom? Is he on a journey? He even goes further and he says, is he asleep? Where is he? And so this caused them to try even harder. They started doing some crazy stuff. And guess what? In verse 29, we're told that no one answered. No one paid attention. Probably one of the most depressing verses in all of Scripture. But also the most revealing. When we place our faith in things that are not God, guess what? No one listens and no one answers. How often do we look to something that is truly not God? And how often do those things not come through? It's because they're not God. And so now it's Elijah's turn. And Elijah begins to build the altar. He builds the altar like he says he was going to do, but he doesn't just build the altar. He actually goes one step further. He douses the altar with water three times. Three times. They take a bunch of water, they dump it on. He says, do it again. And so they dump more water on. And then he says, do it again. And they dump more water on. Why does Elijah do this? All he had to do was see if fire came down. He didn't have to put water on it. Have you ever tried to make fire with wet wood? It's probably one of the most infuriating things I've ever gone through in my life. If you ever camp, it's the worst making a fire with people watching with wet wood. You're sweating, people are freaking out, and you're like, I swear I know how to make fire. Why does Elijah do this? Well, it's simple. For three years, Elijah had to depend on God, and guess what? God came through. For three years, Elijah was being refined by God, and guess what? God came through. For three years, Elijah was being tested by God, and guess what? God came through. 
And so not only did Elijah want God to send fire, but he also wanted to show people the faithfulness and the power of God in the midst. He wanted to show the next generation that God is truly God, that there was going to be no debate whether Elijah kind of threw a match on the side to let, set it on fire. That it was truly God doing the work because only God could light that fire. And so look what happens. The stage is set. The altar's built. The water's on it. And look what Elijah does. Elijah, the prophet, walked up to the altar and prayed. Godly sincerity. Godly simplicity. He didn't have to do a bunch of stuff to summon his God. With godly sincerity and godly faith, all he had to do was walk up to the altar and pray. That's it. And this is his prayer. O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all this at your command. Prove that I have done all this at your command. Godly sincerity, godly faithfulness. And look what God does. Look how God responds. Verses 38 and 39. Immediately. I'm going to stop there. Do you remember the prophets of Baal? You remember how long they worked for? For nothing? It was from morning until noontime. From morning until noontime, they were trying everything under the sun to get their God to respond. And here we have Elijah simply stepping up to the altar, praying with a godly sincerity. And guess what? God responds immediately. The author of 1 Kings wants us to see this contrast. He wants us to understand that our God is listening, that God is with us, and just like we sang earlier, that God is fighting for us and that he's with us. He responds immediately. The fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust. So it didn't just, it didn't just light a little dinky fire, okay? So don't picture a little campfire in your head. This thing was probably huge. And then even further, it licked up all the water in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell face down on the ground and cried out, The Lord, he is God. Yes, the Lord, he is God. Now you may be sitting here wondering, like, what on earth does this have to do with equipping the next generation? How does a story in the Old Testament How is that relevant to us today? Well, it has everything to do with us today. Equipping the next generation. This account of Elijah tells us two things. First, that God is the only one who can send the fire. God is the only one who can send the fire. Elijah knew that, that God could send the fire because of what he experienced before he approached the altar. You see, much like Elijah, a lot of us go through seasons of life where we have to depend on God, we're being refined and tested by God, but often we think that that's only for our own spiritual journey. We're like, man, I'm so thankful for that season because now I'm in a better place. But listen, God prepares us in those seasons to then use us. 
He prepares us in those seasons to use us. And much like Elijah, God used Elijah and how he prepared him and used him so that the next generation of God's people could see who God truly was. So that the next generation could see the power and the faithfulness of God. Could see that God is the true God in this world. You see, Elijah, by faith, stepped up to that altar and he prayed. By faith, he knew that God was the only one who could send the fire. And guess what? Again, God came through. Again, God came through. In a big way. God sends the fire. And by faith, we need to walk up to that altar. So here's the question for you today. Do you have the same faith and confidence that Elijah had? Do you have the same godly sincerity? Do you have the same confidence in our God that Elijah had today? And then on top of that, How is God preparing you to help equip the next generation? Whether you're a parent, whether you're a grandparent, whether you're single, no parent, whether whatever the case may be, listen, we're a family. We're in this together. How is God preparing you to equip the next generation that God has entrusted to us here? How is He preparing you? God sends the fire, but listen, the second thing we learn is that that doesn't negate our responsibility in the matter. Elijah had the responsibility to build the altar. God wanted to use Elijah. He went, he built the altar. God God didn't just like magically make the altar appear. He could have, but he wanted to use Elijah in it. And it's the same thing for us. We have the responsibility to set the stage for the next generation. We have the responsibility to make God known and by faith call upon him with godly sincerity and simplicity. So listen, this is going to take the whole family. No matter who you are, you don't just get to come and kind of do your own thing. God wants to use us for a greater purpose. And this is why we are what's called an orange church. We're called an orange church. And so just to kind of, if you've never heard this before, hopefully you have, but if you haven't, the, the, the mentality of Orange Church means that we want to connect the light of the church, which is why there's a light bulb up there, to the love of the family, which is why there's a heart there. And so when you take the light of the church and you combine it with the love of the family, this is how God can work. This is how we can set the stage for the next generation. So to make it even more simplistic for you, when you combine yellow with red, what color do you get? Thanks. Some of you were listening. Thanks. Good job. You get orange. And that's exactly what we strive to do here at the chapel. We want to be an orange church. We want to combine the light of the church with the love of the family. But here's two things I need to tell you about this. First, when it comes to the yellow, when it comes to the church, we have on average 40 hours a year to pour into your family. That's it. 40 hours on average. Some of you it's more, some of you it's less. 40 hours a year, we have chapel kids back there for your 0 to 5th graders. 
where every week they can hear about Jesus in a relevant way so that they can move one step closer to God and each other through Christ. Every week, right now, we have Chapel Middle School meeting right now so that they can learn about Jesus in a relevant way so that they can move one step closer to God and each other through Christ. That's our mission statement, by the way, if you didn't know that by now. Every week or once a month, we have our Chapel High School. They have what's called Last Sunday. Just want to give you a plug there. So for any high schoolers in in here right now, we have our Last Sunday, January 31st. It's blackout night. It's going to be awesome. Our friend Intellect's going to be performing there. He's one of my favorite guys ever. And so you you don't want to miss that. And they meet once a month, all three campuses together. Why? So that they can learn about Jesus in a relevant way to to move one step closer to God and each other through Christ. And then they also have small groups throughout the month, which is, which is amazing. And then on top of that, guess what? We have young adult small groups at every campus. We have couples groups at every campus. We have men's groups, women's groups. We have focus classes coming up. We have all of these things to equip you. And I'm not just saying that we have all this stuff to say, oh, look at us. You want to know what this is? All this is us is simply saying we're trying to set the stage. That's it. We are trying to set the stage so that God can do a mighty work in your life. But we only have 40 hours a year. That's the yellow. The red on the side of the family. You have about approximately 3,000 hours a year with your family, to pour into your family, 3,000 hours a year. And that's if, if your kids are still in the home. It's probably even less if they're grown and gone, right? Okay, listen. That shows that the family has the biggest opportunity and responsibility for the Christian discipleship and the spiritual discipleship of their family. The family does. But you know what's happened over time is that we we live in a culture where a lot of people want to say, here, I'm going to pass off my responsibility as the family of Christian discipleship onto someone else. It's not my job. You fix them. I've, I've heard that a lot. Honestly, some of you are like, you've heard that? Yes. A lot of parents will come to me and say, hey, my kid's crazy. Can you fix them? No, I can help you walk with them. Listen. A lot of people want to pass off their responsibility, but the family, you are irreplaceable. You're irreplaceable. We as a church, we would love to walk with you. We would love to equip you. We would love to help you in any way, shape, or form. Chapel kids, chapel middle school, chapel high school, young adults, all that stuff. We would love to help you. But we cannot replace you. Don't trade 3,000 hours for 40. You would never do that with money. Like if I had $3,000 and you had 40 and you were like, hey, trade with me, I'd say no. Why do we do that with our spiritual discipleship of our family? Why do we just give up that responsibility? So easily. Listen, I pray that we as a church, the church, yellow, the family, red, I pray that we can say these words of Paul. 
where he's saying to the church, imitate me just as I imitate Christ. I hope as a church we can say that to you, and I hope you as a family can say that to your family. Imitate me because I'm trying to imitate Christ. It's not perfection, it's faithfulness. We've already learned that. It's not perfection, it's faithfulness. So listen, this is going to take all of us as a family. The next generation needs everyday examples of faithfulness like Elijah. They need you and they need the church. And so over the next three years, we want to equip the next generation and we want to start by embracing the fact that we truly are an orange church. And so get to know that mentality, that idea of the church coming and the family coming together to make orange. And so listen, my promise to you today is that we will do everything we can to maximize and to give you all you need in the 40 hours that we have with you. We will work. We will try to set the stage so that you can move one step closer to God and each other's through Christ. The question is, is how are you going to use your 3,000 hours? That's for you to decide in your spiritual journey. I want to close with this stat, the last stat I'm going to give you. 94% of Christ followers make the decision to follow Jesus before the age of 18. Now, I say this because all this is telling us is that we need to get to work, don't we? We don't have time to waste. And let me tell you this, when they hit 18 and they want to do their own thing, which every 18-year-old does, I did that. I'm like, my parents know nothing. They don't have any clue of the world. I'm going to do my own thing. Guess what? They were completely right. They knew exactly what was going on. And so parents, when your kids get older, you're still needed. You're still needed in their life to disciple them and to develop them and to pour into them. Don't let your 3,000 hours get lower to the point where there's none. And so listen, I pray that we will get to work, that we will embrace this idea that we are an orange church, that we will set the stage for the next generation. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for the example of Elijah. I pray that we would truly embrace this idea of equipping the next generation so that you can do a mighty work in their heart and in their life. We pray this in your name. Amen.